Amen. Good morning, church. My name is Derek, and I am the director of Chi Alpha, which is our campus ministry to the college students in the Cedar Valley. And like I said earlier, Pastor Daniel, our lead pastor, is gone this morning. Him and his wife, Emily, are on vacation. So let's be praying for them this week that they can come back refreshed and filled up, ready for this upcoming season of our church, because we believe God wants to do some powerful things this next season, and so we need him ready to go to lead us through that. Amen, amen, and amen. Also, this is really random, but my brother got a new iPad stand, and this is so much more fun for me. It's like to have it up here in a good angle. So it's a good day today. We're thankful for older brother buying things for a younger brother to use. All right. Over the past three weeks, we've been in our sermon series entitled Stronger. We've been covering what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus and how the discipleship of Jesus must be stronger than the world's discipleship, than the way we are being formed by the world around us. We started with looking at our worship and how our worship must be stronger than our idolatry, that we must look at God above everything else. And then last week, we talked about community and how community must be stronger than individualism, how we are called to do life together, how we can't be a rogue Christian, but we follow Jesus and family. And then today, we are going to finish that sermon series, and we've been working through Romans chapter 12, and we're going to continue that this morning with Romans 12, 11 through 13. Romans 12, 11 through 13 says this. Do not be slothful. That is not the correct one. Romans 12, 11 through 13. Do we have that up there? We're working. Maybe. I'll read it, and then you can follow along if you have your Bible or if you have a phone with you, and it's in there as well. Romans 12, 11 through 13 says this. Do not be slothful in seal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. The sermon title this morning is Mission Over Consumerism. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you and we thank you that we get to be together every Sunday to come and worship you, God. I pray that our church will have a heart of mission, that as you send us out into the world around us, that we will be so focused on the outward, God. We love you so much. Amen. Amen and amen. So I'm the youngest of five siblings, and by the time I was 14, all my older siblings had moved out of the house. And my parents were very used to a very busy household because when they got married, they didn't know Jesus yet, and they already had a few kids, so like they got married into like insanity. So when they they were just all they knew is having a bunch of kids running around. And then when it was just me and my two parents, it took them a little bit to get used to. I thought it was awesome. I'm like, yes, I'm the center of attention. I don't have to share anything. This is great. But for them, they're like, this is crazy. I need kids to run around. And my mom loves spending time with her children deeply. And she wants every minute of it, which is a beautiful thing. But as a 14-year-old teenage boy, (laughs) hanging out with my mom was not quite at the top of my list of activities I wanted to do. And when my siblings all moved out, it was all on me to fill in my parents' entire bank of quality time. It's like, come here, Derek. You will love me. And so that was a little bit much sometimes. And something that my mom did while we were growing up is she ran the hospitality table at our church, which meant she provided bagels and coffee and all those things for our church. And so as a part of this job, she would go shopping for all these things every Saturday morning. And since she was trying to save money, we went to one of two places. Either we would go to Sam's Club, which would take forever because it's massive, or we went to this really dingy place that she called the bread store. I don't know if it even had a name. It was just the bread store. And it kind of smelled like an old basement when you walked in. And I think the worst part was when you'd walk in, there was a lady in the corner, the only employee in the whole place. And as soon as you walked in, she would give you a death glare. Like, why are you here? Now I have to do something. And she'd be like angry, like, no one comes here. Why are you two here? The bread store is meant to be a bottom wasteland. So when you'd walk in, you'd get her evil eye, and that was a little bit scary. And my mom desperately, desperately wanted me to go with her on Saturday morning so we could have mother-son bonding. And at the same time, I desperately, desperately wanted to stay in my basement and play video games every Saturday morning and not go to the bread store. So we were a little bit at a crossroads. There's a motivation, right? As a kid, you want to please your mom and be a good son. That can motivate you to do something. That can even maybe motivate you to give up your Saturday. For me, though, that was not a strong enough motivation whatsoever to give it up. I was like, nope, video games are more important than my mom's happiness. But see, my mom is a smart lady, and she understands humanity. She understands how our brains are wired and work. See, she understood that if she wanted to get me to do something, she had to answer one simple question. She needed me to answer, what's in it for me? What will Derek get out of this? Because when we're doing things, we often do things from the motivation of what am I going to get out of it? 
So my mom started taking me out for lunch every Saturday after the dingy bread store. And when I knew that a tasty meal was at the end of this shopping trip, I was ready to run to the car to be a good son. Nothing to do with the food, right? No, I was excited to go eat. When the only motivation was to be a good son and love my mom, that motivation was not strong enough because I didn't feel like I was getting something out of it. When I thought I was going to get something out of the deal, I was all in, ready to go. Sign me up for Saturday bread. Because deep down, deep down when we are processing what to do with our lives and how we should spend our time, we are often asking ourselves, what's in it for me? How do I benefit from this? We've been indoctrinated with this truth that we are to look out for ourselves and that the goal of life is to advance self and receive something from this life. And this is all because we live in a world, a world of consumerism. Consumerism is living from the idea of what can I get out of this? What's in it for me? Our whole economic system is actually predicated on the idea that we are to spend money on things that other people create so that we can consume it. And as we consume and consume and consume, we will become happier. That the more we have, the happier we will be. Which leads to a world of excess, right? Because we have to consume and consume and make sure we have enough. Because we kind of hoard things to protect self. For example, nearly 40% of food in America goes to waste while 25,000 people die from starvation every single day. This comes from us wanting to make sure we have enough, no matter the cost, right? And this idea of always needing to consume more actually leads us to live beyond our means. The average American household has over $7,500 in consumer debt. That's not something like a mortgage or a car payment or student loans. No, consumer debt is just buying things that we think will be fun to make us happier. $7,500 of Debt just for more stuff. And no weekend shows this American heart of consumerism quite like Black Friday, right? In fact, in 2014, which is a while ago, so we're kind of going even farther back, I don't want to know the statistics today, but in 2014, Americans spent $57.4 billion on Black Friday alone. In context. In that same year, Americans gave $103 billion to churches for the, high, for the entire year. So over half of what Americans gave to churches for the whole year was spent on one weekend alone to buy stuff. And I love Black Friday shopping, so that was convicting when I read it. So here's a little test to know if consumerism has made its way into our hearts. I want you to ask yourself this question. You don't have to answer out loud. Do you have a room, or maybe even multiple rooms, that their entire purpose is to house your extra junk? Do you have to work hard to organize all your stuff because you have so much of it? See, our lives, they revolve around storage containers to just house stuff that we're never going to look at again. But we have to keep it because you just never know. I might need it just in case. I might need my three-year-old's painting that was horrible, but I might need it someday just to look at it and cry. See, our solution to our overconsumption problem has been to build more buildings, buy more tubs, and organize better. And maybe, just maybe, there's a better solution to the American gospel. See, the American gospel, well, the American gospel is the more you have, the happier you will be. But here's the problem. We think that if we get more, we'll be happier. Or maybe if we have nicer things, people will value me more because I'll look better. And it all comes down to what we value. See, our spending shows what we value. If we spend more on subscriptions than missions, we value our personal entertainment more than lost people going to hell. And the real irony of this American gospel is that the idea that the more you have, the happier you'll be, is scientifically proven to be false. There's a study done to see the effect of money and income on happiness. What the study showed is that, yes, poverty negatively affects happiness. We are not designed to live in poverty and be hungry all the time. That makes you not happy. But strangely enough, right at the amount of $75,000 a year, the effect of more and more money has greatly diminishing returns. So the study shows us that we do not need more than $75,000 a year in suburban America to fill our needs and to be happy. Anything over that doesn't actually positively impact our well-being. So yes, poverty is painful. Poverty is not the design. But neither is living a life of luxury. Extra, more, it doesn't actually make us happier. It's because of our design. We were not designed to consume. 
We are designed to create, to play a part, to subdue the earth. It actually goes back to the very beginning of creation in the book of Genesis. When we see God creating the first human, this is what he says in Genesis 1, 27 and 28. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. We were designed to have dominion, to rule, to play a part in the development of the earth. To put it more simply, in Genesis chapter 2, it says this. So God creates Adam, he puts him in the Garden of Eden, and he says, the Lord God took the man, that's Adam, and he put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. We were created to work the garden, to play a part, to have dominion, not to just consume the fruit of the garden, but to help in the process of keeping the garden. We were designed to live on mission. See, consumerism is what can I get out of this? Mission is what can I give? To be human is to give, is to create, to do our part. As a member of humanity, this means that you are called to do whatever God designed you to do to the best of your ability, to help society, which means laziness and being a godly human don't actually go together. So whatever your calling is, you better work at it. If God has called you to be a banker, work hard for other people's finances. If God has called you to be a teacher, work hard to educate the future. If God has called you to devote your life to parenting, give your effort to be the best parent possible and raise children to love King Jesus. There's never a godly reason to be lazy because we are created to do our part. And if we won't do our part, no one else will because no one else can fill the shoes you were designed to fill. And this goes from society into the church as well. As a member of the body of Christ, you are designed to contribute to the church, to play a part, to work the garden of our church. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. So the question we have to answer this morning is where do we want our life to count? Do we want the purpose of our lives to be to accumulate more stuff, consume more, and hurt the world around us through lazy consumption? Or do we want our life to be defined by what we add to the world, by what we create? Is our purpose going to be in what we own, or how we impact the world for the kingdom of God. In Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount, he actually gives us instructions in this. He says, this is how you live a life that outlives you, a life that actually counts for something in the long run. It says this in Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and do not steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus is telling us that if we live our lives to consume, to lay up treasures on earth, it just won't last. So your bank account, your car, your house, it's not going to go the distance. People's opinion of you, it'll come and go. Because ultimately, those things don't matter as much because our consumption, well, it dies. Those treasures break down, but rather, we can lay up treasures in heaven. We can move from consumerism, which is a life about us and what we can have and get to a life of mission. See, mission, mission must be stronger than consumerism. So how do we do this? How do we live a life of mission? How do we move in our hearts and our culture of, which is all about getting to a culture of giving? This takes us back to our teaching text today in Romans 12. These verses will practically show us how to live a life of mission. So Romans 12, 11 says, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit. So the first thing we can do is realize that mission flows from fervency. Mission flows from fervency. To be fervent basically means, in the simplest form, to care, to have like an intense feeling. We were not made to be bumps on a log who sits on a couch and wastes our days watching TV, over-consuming as we scroll through social media thinking about the next thing we're going to purchase. That's not the way we were designed. We are made to have a little bit of life to us. We are made to be a little bit excited to be here. We are made to do something with our lives. So mission can flow from actually caring about the world around you and not just wasting away. If all we do is lay around and be slothful and let life pass us by, no wonder we're not making an impact. No wonder we're not feeling satisfied. We're not doing anything to add to the world around us. You're not living the way you're designed. That's us eating the fruit of the garden without working the garden. 
Romans 12, 11 continues on to say, serve the Lord. So second, mission flows from serving. So a very practical way to move from a life of consumerism to a life of mission is to serve. We're created not to be served, as we often think, but rather to serve. Matthew 20, 28 says this, even as the Son of Man, which is Jesus, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So our creator God, Jesus, the God of the universe, came to serve. So if God, who created everything, came to serve, I think us little humans can serve. At least practically that makes sense to my brain. But our world does not tell us that. Our world tells us that the goal of life is to advance enough in your job so you don't have to do the grunt work of serving, right? Our goal is to go from being this servant to being served. We want to go from waiting tables to going out to eat and eating and giving tips to other people. But that's just not the design. We are designed to do our part and to serve the kingdom of God. And the way this is practically fleshed out is we are to serve people and live to make other people's lives better. And that means we're willing to do the lowly work that we're not focused on being head honcho and being in charge of every room we walk into. For example, in your work environments, even if you're the boss, serve. Be kind to your employees. Do what it takes to make your coworkers' lives better. Do the hard work. We don't just go to work to consume and get the job done, but rather we go to work on mission, to glorify God through working hard and loving the people around us. When I was in college, I worked at Caribou Coffee right on university, and it was like my first day, and the assistant manager comes with me. I just got there, and she says, you need to go clean the drains. They stink, and they stunk. They smelled horrible. It was disgusting. It was really dirty, but again, like I said, I grew up the youngest, so I had very little experience in cleaning. I had never done that before. I'm like, oh, I'm supposed to clean something. How do we do that? And so I look at him like, I have no clue what to do here. So I just ask him, like, hey, can you help me clean? I just, like, you show me once, I'll do it from here on out. I'll work hard, but I just don't know how to get started and clean these drains. And she looked me square in the eyes, and I'll never forget this. She stared at me and said, I don't do the drains. And just stared at me. Like, what do I do with that information? Do I, like, does that mean I do the drains? So I don't do the drains. I'm okay. So I went and I very, very poorly cleaned those drains, and they still stunk, and like the whole coffee shop was smelling of this weird aroma. But see, our calling is to serve. Even if we've got the assistant manager title, help little 19-year-old useless Derek clean the drains. He just wants to learn. It doesn't matter what our title or status is. Even if we're the top person in the company, we can serve the people around us. This goes back to what Paul talked about earlier in Romans chapter 12, and Daniel actually touched on this last week. Romans 12, 4 and 5 says this, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. What this means is we're all connected, right? That we're all members of the body of Christ, and our job is to serve the body through doing our part. You are needed. You are needed. Imagine a body without an eye or an ear. We need every part to be all that God has designed us to be. But we also can't go to the flip side and be like, so I'm the nose, and so all I'm actually going to do is smell roses all day. That's what God designed me to do. I'm smelling roses, baby. That's what I'm here for. You can smell the other stuff. No, 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 no. We don't just do the fun parts of our calling, right? We do all the parts of our calling of serving. Life cannot just be about doing what makes us happiest and most comfortable because mission is about serving even when it's not ideal or fun. So John Kruger, who just finished our Chi Alpha internship, and he goes to our church, he really embodies this idea. So just a few weeks ago with Chi Alpha, we had an end-of-the-year party, and for some reason, I let the team talk me into buying a co- or renting a cotton candy machine. Like, I, they're like, I promise you this is going to get thousands of students saved. We just need this cotton candy machine. It's going to change everything. And they, they asked me when I was at Chick-fil-A eating, so I was in a good moment. I'm like, yeah, we'll spend too much money on a cotton candy machine. This will be great. That cotton candy machine, although they had fun, was horrible. So for literally like an hour after the party, John Kruger was in that kitchen, like scrubbing the cotton candy. He had to take the machine apart, and he's like using a toothbrush, it looked like, to get every piece of cotton candy out of there because it was stuck to it. He's just being a servant leader. And he was just getting ready to finish his Chi Alpha internship. He had no reason to like work hard for it. He had his next job lined up, but he wanted to be a servant, that he's willing to scrub the stupid cotton candy machine of death. So it looked clean because he knew that if he didn't do that, Chi Alpha would get charged more money because we would have had to pay for cleaning it up. And that wouldn't affect him at all. 
it would just affected me, but he serves enough as a leader to scrub the cotton candy machine. And he was real sweaty back there going with the cotton candy machine, so it was kind of funny to watch too, but I'm really thankful he did that. See, mission, it flows from us serving other people. Verse 12 of Romans 12 goes on to say this, be constant in prayer. Mission flows from prayer. So maybe you're here, and if you're honest with yourself, naturally you don't have quite a missional heart. Maybe naturally your heart is more focused on what you can consume rather than what you can give. And I get it. You want to know why? That's me. I hate serving. We just did personality tests this last week with our Carlton team, and service is really far down for me. I do not like serving. Again, I'm the youngest of five siblings. I was served. I was like Prince Derek. It was awesome. My world kind of revolved around me. So naturally, having a servant's heart, it doesn't come natural to me, to be honest with you, church. I like to be honest with my flaws. But God has called us higher. It's not about what's natural for us. So if your heart is not as missional as you like, if you're more inward focused than you'd like, I have two pieces of advice. First is that feelings follow action. So act like you're missional. Act like you live to serve other people, and your feelings will follow. Sometimes we need to act like it and fake it till we make it, right? Second, though, is to pray for a more missional heart. Because what we pray about shows what we care about. If all you pray about is your life, your family, your problems, then no wonder all you think and do about is yourself. But if we're praying for our church, right? Praying for the world around us, praying for lost people, we will start to be more outward focused. See, we need to turn our prayer closets outward to the world around us, and in turn, that'll turn our hearts outward to the world around us. What we pray about shows what we care about. So if you want to care about something, pray about it. If you want to care about your coworkers, pray for them, especially the ones that tick you off a lot, because the more you pray about them, the harder it's going to be for you to be angry at them, because in the morning, you're like, Jesus, I pray for a blank person, and we love them. God, they are created in your image, and they tick you off. You're not going to cuss them out as much, because you just prayed for them in the morning, and if you do, you'll have to repent and pray again in the evening. It'll be fine, just getting you back to praying. All right, finally, it says in verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Mission flows from generosity. So what this is saying, contribute to the needs of the saints is financial contribution of what it's talking about. That's the way they're practically showing hospitality. Paul, writing to the church of Rome, is saying, hey, will you help contribute to the work? So if we truly want to move from a life of consumerism to a life of mission, I think the simplest way to do this is to live generously. Paul's encouraging the people to live missionally, and then he ends it by saying, contribute to the work of the saints. That means give to your church, give missions, be financially generous. Our culture tells us that we live to consume, right? We live to build up wealth, to store up for ourselves, to store treasure on earth, take care of ourselves, that we will be happier if we have more, and that we've earned the right to have more. It's not just the more you have, the happier you'll be. Our culture now tells us that you've earned that right. You've earned the right to buy whatever you want. We've earned our standard of living. That since you've worked hard, you deserve nice things. But that's not the heart of Jesus. See, the American gospel has gotten us to believe this lie that we can live for our own happiness and spend our money on whatever we want. We can buy whatever pleases us because we've worked hard to earn this place in life. We think like our work ethic gives us a right to do what we want with our finances. But I'll be honest. That's not Jesus. And if we're really honest, the reason that you and I can have financial flexibility has nothing to do with our work ethic. Most of the reasons why you and I can have financial flexibility is because we were born in America. It's because you were born in a certain situation that sets you up to succeed. Here's the reality. I'm, I know we have a church that works hard. Let's take your very hard work ethic that's gotten you to a good place of flexibility. And let's put it into someone who is from a third world country. That same work ethic, what it's going to get them is enough food to eat for the day. Not because they worked any less hard than you did, but simply because they were born into a different environment. I think too often we take too much credit for things. When the credit goes to God putting us in a situation, and we were born into a situation where it became easier for us to succeed. It's not that we worked hard to succeed, it's that we were born in the middle of Iowa where most people aren't going hungry, right? we got to take the credit away from ourselves and give it to Jesus. If we continue to believe this lie, that somehow we've earned the right to be materialistic, that we've earned the right to buy whatever we want, we've earned the right to be a consumer and hoard our money and not be generous because of what we've done and how hard we've worked, if we continue to do that, we're just continuing to feed the lies of the American empire. Our so-called work ethic does not permit us to sin and live for ourselves. 
Nowhere does Jesus teach that. That teaching of just work hard, you can do what you want, is not from the gospel, it's from the American gospel. American Christianity has hardwired into our brains that work ethic leads to consumerism. That's not real Christianity. Real Christianity is sell all and follow King Jesus. You and I, we never earn the right to be a consumer. We don't work our way out of mission. So saying things like, I've done my time, I've served now, it's someone else's turn. I put in the hard work when I was young, so now I can do what I want. Or I served for the church for years, now someone else can step up and serve me. See, the Bible doesn't give us some quota. It's not like once you've served for so many years or given so much money or done this much time, you graduate out of the need to be missional. That's not in the Bible. We're always called to be in the game. We are always called to be missional. No one gets to be on the bench no matter how well you've played the last 30 years. The Bible never says, okay, thank you for your service. Now spend the last 10 years in luxury. Just not there. Retirement. I'm not going to get into that. Never mind. And the same is true with our generosity. God is calling every one of us to do our part. And this is one reason that the tithe actually makes so much sense. Because if you make $20,000 a year, the tithe doesn't mean you need to give away $20,000 a year. No, it means you need to do your part. Not someone else's part, but your part. Give your 10%. So if you make more, you give more. If you make less, you give less. It goes back to the parable of the talents. If God has trusted you with a lot, you better be faithful with a lot or he's going to take it and give it to someone else. So no one gets to opt out of this. Tithing is not a suggestion. It's not like if you want to give 10%, you can, but if, you don't, if you're not feeling it, you can give 3%. That's not in the Bible. It's a calling from God where we get to practically live on mission. We get to fight back consumerism and stop bowing to the almighty dollar that my life is about how much money I can have so I can feel more secure. Generosity is a way just to stick it to that. And culture tells us that we are to live to consume, that we're to live for stuff, live for self. And the best way to stick it to the American empire is to be radically generous. We defy our culture by saying money is not my top priority. This isn't about me. This is about the people around me. That is such an easy way to move practically from consumerism to mission, is to stop bowing to the dollar in your bank account and security. And let's bow to King Jesus. So I might not be allowed to talk about this movie in church, but Daniel's gone, so I'm going to do it anyways. In the beginning of the Harry Potter series, we meet a young Harry and the family he's grown up with. And for those of you that do not know, Harry Potter's parents were killed when he was a baby, so Harry goes on to live with his aunt and uncle and their wonderful son, Dudley. One of the very first scenes of the franchise is Dudley's birthday. We see Dudley walk out to a room full of gifts, 36 gifts to be exact. Included in these gifts, for those of you who read the book, were a computer, a wristwatch, multiple computer games, and a video recorder, just to name a few. Dudley, however, he is appalled. There's only 36 gifts. 36 gifts. I had 37 last year. He's angry. And his parents, they're such good parents. They lovingly promise him, oh, baby boy, I promise you I'm going to fix this. We'll take you out and buy two more gifts so that then we can have more than last year to make up for our mistake of only 36 gifts. See, Dudley's parents, they made it so his world revolved around him. It was all about what he could get from life, how he could advance, how he could be happy, how he could have more, how he could consume. What's in it for Dudley? That was his whole life. And that wonderful parenting leads Dudley to be a bully to everyone around him. He makes his cousin's life miserable. Dudley does not grow up to be a very intelligent member of society, but rather he is described as manipulative, ungrateful, and extremely obese. His parents literally fattened him up with consumerism. Was that good for Dudley? Was it good for Dudley's parents to let him live a life that was all about him? Was living a life of consumerism good for his development? We'd obviously all argue no, right? See, Jesus doesn't tell us to live on mission and to live for other people, and to live a life of consumerism just to punish us or to get us to do his bidding. No, Jesus does it because he loves us, and he knows that living on mission is actually what's best for our spirituality. Jesus doesn't call us to be generous and to serve just because he needs you and I to advance his kingdom, right? We aren't that important. Jesus doesn't need us to do what his plan is, but he wants to use us because he knows what's best for our hearts, as I remember from the past two weeks, Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And then after this, Paul goes on to say, you should live a life of worship, community, and mission. 
Paul's telling us that to be transformed in the image of Jesus, we need to live on mission. And this consumerism mentality of living life for me deforms us from the image of Jesus into the image of the world around us because our culture tells us that we're to look out for self and do whatever we personally want. So if we are not living a life of mission, we will be formed into the life of Jesus, or not the life of Jesus, we'll be formed into the world and not the life of Jesus. So if we want to look like Jesus, we must live on mission. It's not getting something from us, it's something for us. See, as Dudley's parents encouraged his consumerism, that led to his physical obesity. And pay attention to this. If we live a life of consumerism, we will become spiritually obese. See, I think a lot of times, we think our life is about us getting filled up on the things of God. We need personal time with God, personal connection with God. We want to learn. We come to church to receive and really be filled up with things of God. And those are all good things. I mean, it is a good thing to have encounters with King Jesus. It is a great thing to have a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus. However, if our spiritual life is all about me receiving, me growing, me being filled up, what's best for me, and never about us pouring out, we've turned our life with God into a life of consumerism, not a life of mission. And that leads to spiritual obesity. If we're always intaking spiritual things, but never pouring out spiritual things will become obese, and obesity is not good in any area of life. So we are made to fill up on the things of God, to consume things of God, to spend time with Jesus, worship, learn, but then we're also designed to pour those things out for the people of God, to live on mission. The way we avoid physical obesity is by working off the calories we consume, right? We are to do the same thing with our spiritual lives, to work off the spiritual things we consume. So how do we practically do this? How do we practically live on mission and exercise our spirituality? I've got three ideas. First, we need to evangelize. That's just a fancy way of saying we need to talk to people about Jesus. We need to act as though we are missionaries in every environment we catch ourselves in. See, we don't just go to work to make money so we can consume more stuff. No, our real purpose of going to work is to share the love of Jesus with people. You don't just go to school to learn, consume, and get a degree to help you consume more later. No, you go to school to bear witness about the light of Jesus. You are to be a missionary to your classmates. The same thing goes when you go to your kids' sports games, your own hobbies, the gym, the store, your family, friends. Everywhere we go is an opportunity for us to practically live missionally through building relationships with people and then talking about Jesus. We should personally know all of our coworkers. We need to push past introversion and this desire to keep to ourselves and push deeper than just surface-level conversations. We need to intimately know the people in our lives because only in the context of relationship with Jesus, or relationship with people, excuse me, just talking about Jesus usually work. Like just getting up and preaching to random strangers doesn't usually make an impact. The way people usually see the light of Jesus is to see the heart of Jesus in your lifestyle that they've gotten to know. It's so much easier to bring up Jesus and invite people to church if you actually have a relationship with them. So the first step is we need to have depth in our relationships with others. Not just knowing meaningless things and like names and the weather, but deep things, knowing their hearts. And introversion is not an excuse to not live missionally. See, just because you feel uncomfortable building a relationship does not give us a free pass to be a consumer instead of on mission. Because our personality does not define our lifestyle and our holiness. Remember, the call to follow Jesus is the call to die to self, which means dying to introversion and dying to social awkwardness. And I completely relate to you if you struggle with this. I am extremely introverted. I love sitting by myself reading books on my couch. That's my happy place. But my entire job's about people. I don't know whose bright idea this was, but here we are. We're praying. Maybe someday I'll get to sit in a corner and talk to myself only. That'll be awesome. But until then, we need to live missionally, right? So even if it's hard for us, which I get because it's very challenging for me, we need to push past that and build relationships. So as we analyze how to practically die to the consumeristic culture around us and live on mission, We need to zero in, and I want to look inside the church and see how this plays out here. I think we have turned the church into another part of our consumeristic culture. In America, we go to church, and as soon as we walk in, we immediately judge the coffee aroma. Like, is this going to be a good day or not? We start smelling it like, okay, this coffee's not bad. Like, ooh, it smells a little burnt. They didn't do a good job. And then we, like, criticize how well we're greeted. Like, hmm. The sign holder at my last church was a little bit more attractive than this church. Mine is four points. <laughs> uh, I pastor college students. I just say what I want. Sorry. 
then we sit down and we're like judging the plushness of the chair. We're like, hmm, my buns are kind of hurting. This isn't as good of a church. Then we look at the worship team. We're like, they don't dress quite as hip as I'd like. Trace jeans just need to be a little bit skinnier to match the worship leader vibe. Then we'll analyze like the quality or the volume of the music. And see, I know you guys would, because ne- you guys are loving, Jesus-loving people. You guys would never say this or feel this way, but I'm just going to be honest with myself. There's something I struggle with sometimes. Sometimes I'm like, I just can't worship God. I don't really like this song. Or it's too quiet. Or it's too loud. I usually don't think it's too loud. I usually think it's too quiet. I'm like, these songs are too old. I just can't worship Jesus. See, my worship of our creator God, who came and died on a cross for our sins and deserves every ounce of praise, is defined by how much I like the music or the song choice. That is the most consumeristic idea in the world, that we can't worship Jesus because we don't like the music. See, our worship is not defined by our preferences. Our worship is defined by the fact that God deserves to be worshiped. It's not about how much we like the songs or worship God because it's not about me. It's not about my preferences. We worship Jesus because he deserves it. Even if they hit wrong notes, which they do, because I play a lot, and I hit a lot of wrong notes. <laughs> Forgive me. I'm usually quiet enough no one can hear them. It's a good day. <laughs> we can't just analyze things and criticize things and find excuses not to worship. Let's just come into with a heart of worship, right? Don't even get me started on the criticizing of the sermons. Pastor puts in like 20 hours for a message, only for us to analyze his humor and be like, his facial expressions weren't great. I only laughed four times. Nope, that wasn't good enough for me. Try again next week. We turned church into a TV show where we review and analyze how much it served me. Was I filled up? Did I get what I need? But church is not about our preferences. Church is about the church. Church is about the body of Christ, the people of God, and loving the lost people around us. Church is about worshiping God and serving the body. Serving is the second practical thing we can do to exercise our spirituality. We must not be consumers in our own church. If this church is your home, you are called to play a part. If this church isn't your home, that's okay. You're just checking things out. And that's a perfect place to be. We're glad you're here. But if this church is your home and you've been here for a few months, it's your time. I believe in you. I believe that you can make the dream of Scent Church happen. It's your time to join the dream team. We can do it. I believe we can serve. If this church is your home, it is time to sign up and serve. I think it can be easy for us to think of reasons why we can't serve, right? And maybe they're good ones. I don't know. I'm not you. But here's something I do know. I do know that Jen Burkett, I think she literally has 35 kids. I don't know the count, but there's like 100 of them walking around. They all look like her. Like That's our church ministry. She's got like 65 children, and I think most of them are like four under. And she's got another one on the way. And her and her husband both serve on teams. They like lead teams. They're like out there finger gunning, getting people greeted, run over here to do announcements, and they run in the back, and they're serving all the time. And then they're like, kids, don't die. We'll see you at the end of church. <laughs> see, I think if these two can serve on the dream team, I think the rest of us can, right? I think none of us have as good excuse as we've populated the whole Cedar Valley school system. <laughs> Your kids are great. This is awesome, I hope. I hope you know we love you. Uh. See, not only does our church need you to serve to make what we do here happen, but it's also really good for you to not be on the bench. Sitting on the bench is what leads to obesity because you're not moving, right? No one gets to be on the bench in Scent Church. If you're here, you serve. And church, we've grown in this the past few years. I'm not here to beat you up. That's not my goal here. I love our church, but it's the text Daniel told me to teach, so here I am. (laughs) We've grown, but I think we can still have some room for growth. I want to see every person in church. And you might notice that sometimes it's kind of like the same people serving over and over again in our church. For example, Kylie is a lady in our church. I don't know where she's at, but I told her to be in here. And she probably, oh, she's in the back. She's scared. I told her to call her out. I didn't tell Jen I was going to call her out. But anyways, so Kylie, for example, she not only leads our greeting team, she serves in kids, she helps cook for things, and she also leads our cleaning team. She's also like the nicest person in the world, so she would never ask you to join the cleaning team. Good thing I'm not as nice as Kylie. We need some people on the cleaning team, church. We all leave, maybe just me. Again, I'm not good at cleaning, but I leave my coffee cup down sometimes, and every time I come back, it's gone. It's awesome. We need to fight back against consumerism and to live for the mission of the church, and a very easy way to do that is to clean our church. I don't know what that process looks like. My wife is on it, but not me. So ask Kylie or Taylor. She's the big lady with two kids on the way. Anyways, 
We all like a clean church, so let's do our part and serve to make the dream of our church a reality. If you are in the church, you are called to serve this church because this is your body. And I'll be honest with this church, there's a vision, this vision that everyone serves. Everyone who calls Santa Church home serves somewhere. And I know that we can say things like, I need a season, I need to focus on me, or me being poured into or being filled up. But I'm just not sure how I feel about that, if I'm just being honest, because that's something you might hear, but it's never in the Bible. The Bible, what you see is people give their lives to Jesus, and then they're immediately put on mission for the kingdom of God until they die. Usually the way they died was being killed for following Jesus. There was no like intermediary like 10 years of like, just enjoying the services. No, they jumped in the game right away. The biblical characters were never on the bench, so why can we be on the bench? The final practical thing we can do is we can give. And this goes back to mission flowing from generosity. So the same principles I just outlined for serving goes for giving. If this is your church home, again, if it's not your church home, thank you for listening. You can take this with what you want. But if this is your church home, we need you to do your part to take care of the house. It is not up to anyone else to take care of Sent Church but us. It's our church. We take care of it. If Sent Church is your home, you should be tithing 10% of your income and giving above and beyond to kingdom builders. Not only is this how we live missionally by doing our part to take care of our church, it's how we live missionally to the world around us through kingdom builders. And I know a lot of times when pastors start talking about money, it gets kind of awkward, right? It's like, well, this benefits them. They get paid. So people start feeling weird about it. Luckily for us, I don't get paid from Sent Church. I raise money from a completely different revenue stream. So there's no self-interest in this. This isn't about me trying to get your money because it doesn't directly benefit my life. It's because I want more for you, church. I want more for us where we aren't tied to the almighty dollar, but instead we are tied to King Jesus. Being a financially generous person, doing our part to take care of our church through the tithe and taking care of the world through kingdom builders is about our formation. This is how we fight the empire of consumerism in our hearts. It starts with our bank accounts because it's not about us, right? It's about Jesus. It's about his mission. So we can sacrifice a tiny bit of our consumeristic right to our own money that's not ours anyways. It's Jesus's that he's trusting us with to serve our church. We all need to do our part. It's not on anyone else to take care of our church home. It's on us. It's on you and me. I'm a member of our church too. I don't, I'm not on this, I don't work for the church. I'm a member of our church. This is coming from a peer in our church. If we drink the coffee, we need to help pay for the coffee, right? If you don't like coffee, help the rest of us pay for it. <laughs> I also think, if we're honest, when it comes to giving, sometimes it can be tempting to want to do the bare minimum, to like find some loopholes. Like, I'll give 5%, or I'll tie off of my income after you take out taxes, insurance, retirement, savings, investing, my mortgage, my car loan, the $3 that's left, I'll give three cents of that, or 30 cents. I can't do math. I'm a pastor, not a mathematician. Anyways... But this comes from the heart of consumerism. If we're always focused on how much can I keep, how can I do the bare minimum so I look like I'm doing my part and I've checked off a box that God doesn't have any boxes to check off, that's just about us, but it's not about me, remember? Remember, it's not about us, but let's go above and beyond a generosity. Let's not seek to do the bare minimum with our generosity, with our serving, instead of seeking how little can I do to be socially acceptable. Let's seek to how much can I pour out and still survive. If we seek to live a life of radical generosity instead of minimal generosity so I feel okay, the world will be turned upside down because it's not about us. We must realize that life is not about me. Life's about other people. Living not for ourselves, but we live for the world around us. In our Chi Alpha, I often tell our students that we are not looking for an audience. See, church is often about being an audience member. You come, you receive, you consume. God's not interested in an audience. God wants an army. We are called to raise up an army, not an audience. Because an army, an army fights for their kingdom. They do their part. They're in the game. They're fighting for what's theirs. An audience, they watch other people fight for their kingdom. An army's in the game. An audience sits in the sides and watches other people play. God is not asking you to be an audience member for his kingdom. God wants you in his army because that's where you grow. That's where you develop, and that's how we fight back the gates of hell. So it boils down to what do we value? What is most important to us? Ourselves or other people? If other people in the kingdom of God is what's most important to us, we will get off the bench, we will stop being an audience member, and we will become the army that God has called us to be. And we will live a life of mission. See, this whole series is about trying to become a disciple of Jesus. 
having the discipleship of Jesus being stronger than the world's discipleship, looking to the example of Jesus to how we live our lives. And I want us to imagine for a second if Jesus lived a life of consumerism, if Jesus would have said, ah, I'm not going to die on the cross. They don't deserve it. Or I don't have time to die on the cross. I got a soccer game to take Matthew to. Or I don't want to give my whole life to these people. God, what if I just like gave you my thumb? I'll give you that. That doesn't seem that useful. Right? What if Jesus lived that way? What's best for him? No, he was all in other people, not focused on what he gets out of it, focused on what he can give. And Jesus came, and Jesus lived a perfect life. Jesus was the only person who actually did work hard enough to earn something. He's the only one in all of humanity who's done that. And he decided to give up what he earned for others. Jesus died to consumerism so that we can live to mission. And as we look at the example of Jesus, that is what should cause us to value other people because Jesus valued you. Jesus valued you enough to die for you and that sense of just gratefulness should cause us to value the things that God values, which are the people around us. The sacrifice of Jesus should drive us to mission. Main idea this morning is mission can become stronger than consumerism when we value others over ourselves. Because like I said, it goes back to what we value. Is what's most important to us, us, or the world around us? So if you're here this morning, and you're feeling shame, that is not from God. The purpose of this isn't to make us feel bad and to beat ourselves up. That's not the reason for a talk like this. We're not here to feel shameful. But if you're honest with yourself, and you've been living a life centered around yourself, I get it. I struggle against the empire of consumerism all the time. Even pastors are selfish. I know, it's crazy, right? See, I've had to wrestle against my fleshly desires, the desire to live for me, to do things for myself. And sometimes I succeed. More often than not, I fail. I choose me over others all the time. I choose consumerism over mission. But what I do know is that every time I choose other people, every time I get an opportunity to die to self to live for other people, it is so worth it. Every single time. Getting to live for other people is really the only reason to live. Living for self-consumption always comes up short and it never seems to satisfy. So if you've been feeling empty, if you've been feeling like there's more for you, if you feel like there's something else that you're just not grasping, if you're feeling an empty hole inside of your heart, that might be because you've been living a life about yourself and that's not going to satisfy you because there is more. There is more for you and this just might be it. Maybe, just maybe, God is saying, if you will live a life not to consume or for other people, then you'll be satisfied. Because things, material things do not produce happiness, I promise you. Only thing that's going to fulfill you is a life of mission. We get to the end of our days, do we want our gravestones to say, Derek Quimby lived for himself? That'd be wonderful as my grandkids go look at that. Like, wow, grandpa was a jerk. No. We want our gravestones to say they lived for other people. They did something bigger than themselves. Their life was not defined by, wow, they had a huge savings account. They gave me a ton of money. They had a nice jet ski. Those things aren't going to be what matters when we're gone. It's going to be, how did you live for other people? How did you advance the mission for the kingdom of God? People will be much more impacted by the life you pour into them rather than the things you buy for them. And you cannot change the past, right? But we can embark on a new future. We can have a future that is centered on fighting the empire of consumerism and living a life of mission. Our future can be a life that's not about us, but a life that's about our king. And I promise you, if you do that, you will never regret it. You will fight spiritual obesity, and you'll become fully formed as a follower of Jesus. And you'll change the world around you in the process. Would you all stand with me? I know that this can be a challenging thing to hear, right? It's not like, oh, this is a great fill-me-up message and I got my cup of coffee. Yay, thank you for telling me I need to die to self and live for other people. 
I understand that these can be some hard things to hear, right? But I also have seen how God moves in our weakness, right? We're not going to go from here and be the perfect missionally focused person. We're going to continue to consume. But the heart of Jesus is that we have opportunity after opportunity to run back to the feet of Jesus and say, I'm so sorry. Help me do better in the future. So that's you this morning. God is asking you to look to him and to make a commitment that from today on, things are going to be different. And we're going to try our best to not consume, but to create for our world. And I know there's some of us here this morning who maybe you're new here. Maybe you haven't really had a relationship with Jesus before. Maybe you once did and you ran away from him. What Jesus focused on right now is he wants you just to give your heart to him. We'll focus on living a life of mission. We'll get there. But Jesus lived on mission for you. So I want you to realize that if you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, no matter what you've done, no matter how far away you've ran from God, he loves you right where you're at. And what he's asking of you this morning is just to turn around and look at him and let him be your savior. Let him be your Let him fill the void in your life and see him turn your world upside down because Jesus died for every one of our sins. He died for every mistake we've made and he's made a new way for us to run back to him. So I want to give us a couple ways to respond this morning. So if you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus or maybe you once did but you ran from him, I want to give you an opportunity to turn back to God and to accept him as your Lord. So what this looks like is I'm going to count to three and I'm going to ask you to raise your hand as an outward sign to God Because we believe that sometimes we have to do something. We have to live missionally to prove what God's doing inside of our hearts. So that's you, and you want to give your life to Jesus, maybe for the first time, or maybe run back to him. On the count of three, raise your hand so we can pray. One, two, three. Thank you. Is there anyone else? Let's pray together, right? Jesus, I thank you for these two. I thank you for what you're doing in our hearts, God. Thank you for a new son and daughter in your kingdom, God. Thank you for dying for our sins, God, so that we can live for something greater than just ourselves, Jesus. Jesus, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for dying on the cross. We love you so much, Jesus. Amen, amen, and amen. That's good news. We have two people entering the kingdom of God. That's good news, right? All right, the second way I want to respond is it's twofold. If you're here and you feel like you've been struggling to live a life of consumerism over mission, I want you to raise your hands to God right now as an outward sign to God to say, Jesus, I want you to change me. And that the people around us can just push us closer to Jesus. So this is me this this morning, living too much for myself. And so we're we're gonna pray and then we're gonna go back into worship. And if this is you, I encourage you, Come to the altar. Go pray with our prayer team and confess what we need to confess to God, but then also commit to turning back and making your life a life of mission. Let me pray. Jesus, we love you. God, thank you that you've called us to something greater than just sitting on the bench. God, you do not need us to accomplish your mission on earth, but God, you choose to use us. Thank you for not letting us settle for spiritual obesity, Jesus. God, I pray that we will be a hungry church for mission, God. That sent church will be defined not as consumers in the Cedar Valley, but as creators in the Cedar Valley that are fighting back the darkness in our area, God, and that is seeing the world turned upside down through living a life that's not about us, Jesus. And Jesus, we commit going forward that sent church is gonna live on mission. We will be a sent church. We love you so much, Jesus. The altars are open, the prayer team is up if you want.